What's up, everyone? Welcome back to a new episode of the Antler Up podcast. We are on episode 64. And on today's episode, Dimitri and I are joined by co-founder of Iron Will, Bill Vanderheiden. And Bill shares his story of how his mechanical engineer background helped him develop one of the best broadheads hunters have ever used. Bill dives deep into coming up with the perfect arrow setup for whitetail hunting, the breakdown of what is out now for Iron Will and what is also coming out here in the near future. Some awesome hunting stories. It was a great pleasure to have Bill on and share his wisdom. And if you are on the fence about trying to fix blade broadhead, then I hope this one really helps you out. Sit back, enjoy the fun episode, and antler up. And before we get into the episode, I want to thank our partners over at America's Best Bowstrings. And now 3D season's coming up. We have, oh my gosh, we have all the local 3D stuff coming. You have the Total Archery Challenge. You have uh, the Reinhardt Challenge 100. All that stuff is coming up. So make sure you're checking out your strings. I'm sure, too, those of you that are shooting indoor, you're good to go as well. So, But if you're not and you're getting ready to go, check out America's Best Bowstrings. We have a platinum series strings on our bow. We love them. Hand built in the USA with high quality custom strings since 2006. You call them up. They'll take care of you. Uh, check out what Dimitri and I and Mike have going on. Our buddy Jim with Keystone Precision Archery too. We have that tan and brown. It's kind of like the little antler up edition that we have going on. So check them out. Go uh, create a custom set for you today over at americasbestbowstrings.com. Also want to thank our partners over at Tethered. And this past season, like I talked about a few times, I hunted exclusively out of the Phantom Saddle and the um, Predator XL platform. I loved everything. I found everything super easy and comfortable. That's the main thing. But if you're on the fence or you've never tried it before, nah, man, don't worry because the Teach and Train Tour is happening this spring and summer. I will be actually hosting an event out in the Philly area over at Cloverleaf Archery Club May 15th. It's free. So check out all the tour dates at tethernation.com. And last week we talked about some of our uh, favorite things uh, from First Light. But be on the lookout because in a couple weeks the new Spectre camo will be dropping and with that, uh, it's also going to be a new conservation initiative that they're going to continue to support our legacy of conservation. So every time you purchase uh, anything apparel printed in the new Spectre pattern, proceeds will be passed on uh, to the NDA. So check that out. Awesome stuff coming out too for particular whitetail hunters from First Light. So check out firstlight.com. Again, thank you, Bill, for coming on this episode. Thank you, everybody, for all, all of the support that you've given us. So enjoy the episode and Antler Up. Well, we're live for another episode of the Antler Up podcast. And on today's episode, we're joined by special guest Bill Vanderheiden with Iron Will Broadhead. So, Bill, thank you for taking time out and, and coming on in uh, a stormy winter uh, evening, uh, I guess, down in uh, Colorado. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me on, guys. That's crazy. Well, Bill, you know, let's uh, let's jump right into everything. Uh, you know, I think when anybody right now in the hunting world thinks of a fixed blade broadhead, I'm pretty sure they're <laughs> thinking Iron Will right now. So when did you come up with the idea of Iron Will? I know you've been doing it for about four years. I mean, you could even be more specific, but just quickly give a quick rundown of kind of like where what your background is and, and how you did Iron Will. Yes, yeah, so I'm a uh... I'm a mechanical engineer. Um, I've been doing, you know, product development for other companies for like 25 years or so before um, actually leaving, you know, leaving the corporate job and starting the, the company. Um, as far as the broadheads, I've been developing those for, man, a lot of years. I think 2006 was the my initial prints. So <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of years of iterating on design, trying to just make something that was, you know, much better, could penetrate through elk shoulder blades and, you know, stay sharp, get a pass through. I kind of knew it was possible from my engineering background. And I felt like nobody had really put the engineering into the, into broadheads to utilize, you know, the latest materials and manufacturing processes and things like that. that um, I think it was January, 2017, when we kind of launched the company, we first went to like the Denver sportsman's expo and showed the product really started selling. So uh, about four years ago, 
That's pretty awesome. Now you talk about too, you've been kind of prototyping since two, the early 2000s. Now, have you, have you grown up on that West Coast side of, and always hunt Western game and everything like that? Yeah, so I'm in Colorado, so I wouldn't quite call that West Coast, but yeah. compared to you guys, I guess I am. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, I actually grew up in, in Wisconsin. Okay. So that's where, you know, my family's from. Um, and so I grew up kind of whitetail deer hunting there, <clears throat> mostly whitetail deer hunting. That was kind of the main thing. Um, you know, I hunted for rough grouse, ducks, and whitetail deer. That was pretty much it in those days. Um, turkeys came. About the time I was leaving in my early 20s, turkeys started showing up in my area. But anyway, I, um, yeah, so deer hunted for many years. Then I moved to Colorado. It's been 22 years ago now that I moved here from Colorado and transitioned from a, a whitetail hunter to an elk hunter and a uh, mule deer at that point, along with, you know, in Colorado, I've also hunted um, bears and, and uh, pronghorn and, um, mountain goat too so there's lots lots of options here now with the product testing you started in 2006 and then didn't really launch the product to 2017 can you explain to someone of what kind of test you're looking for you, you mentioned penetration i'm sure you're talking accuracy trying to tweak the broadhead to to make it available and, and sell it can you kind of explain of, of what you're going through and, and looking for as as you're ready to launch that yeah, so what got me started is I had a broadhead fail on an elk shoulder blade. So, you know, first I spent a couple of years um, buying a lot of broadheads, doing, you know, trying to read whatever scientific papers there were out there kind of on, on, you know, there, there was some on arrows, but there wasn't a whole lot on broadheads. There were some Ashby reports at that time. Um, tried to buy a bunch of broadheads and test them shooting through elk shoulder blades and other things. Um, and so, yeah, I was really trying to go for something that would penetrate much better and not, um, you know, not fail on a bone, really an animal bone of any size and kind of retain an edge and not have the edge roll. Um, at the same time, I wanted it to have good long range flight. So I didn't really want a big three to one um, two blade fixed head that had too much surface area because I was also wanted to shoot, you know, mule deer at 50 to 60 yards, say. Right. Um, just out west, um, a lot of the shot opportunities are just different from the whitetail woods. It's um, they're very hard to pattern. A lot of it's open country, and uh, I know some guys can get in close, but maybe if I was a better hunter, I could too. <laughs> a lot of my shots on, uh, on mule deer um, and elk have been, you know, 50, 60 yard type ranges. Now you talked about too, like Dimitri just brought up about the penetration test. And I know you have the videos that on your website and that's what I find fascinating just because I, I love just gear in general. But you know, when you, when people go ahead and do, you know, specific testing, like yours is awesome. Like the way you have that machine and it, you know, shows you all uh, the different poundages of what maybe a mechanical is what it like. I mean, some are. 50 plus pounds of, of it takes to generate force to actually penetrate uh, fully. And then when you look at some of the iron wheel heads, it's like six, seven pounds only. Uh, I was telling like Dimitri that, I mean, it's, it's pretty fascinating, like what you do and how has that evolved over, you know, since you started doing that? Yeah, you know, I just applied engineering tools like I had in my past jobs, where if you're if you're trying to make something better than what exists, you need some way to quantify it. You know, you need some some way to test it and get get the parameters, um, quantify it, and then show that you're doing better. So that's one of the things I was doing is um, you know have this Instron machine that can can push you know broadhead down at a controlled speed with a load cell and measure force very accurately, and I could see you know how much force did it take to penetrate hide muscle shoulder blades. You know other bones um, with you know with the initial design with with other broadheads out there and then with the design iterations as I was improving them um, and that's really what drove me to having uh, a sharper edge I didn't realize edge I didn't realize sharpness and edge retention was so important when I started yeah. I just thought durability um, was what I needed and and there's quite a few durable heads out there 
now um you know some of the some of the bigger heavier say two blade or even three blade fixed heads kind of one piece those are pretty durable um problem is they're not very sharp very most of them aren't sharp um to be honest with you and so you know getting something that was very sharp and retained that edge um that took you know years of trying a bunch of a number of different steels and working on the heat treat to the point where right now i'm using an a2 tool steel at 60 rockwell c hardness where i can get it extremely sharp and then i can i can still shoot through an animal and shave hair with it because yeah. it retains that edge and that's pretty unusual compared to other broadheads out there. Now we could even talk about like what is coming out. And just because you said you're busy right now, I know you were down Texas, I believe, not too long ago. The um, the first one we call the V series. The V series. It was a vented. Yep. It's a vented blade. It's um, it's the same as our S series, which was the following year. Yep. Um, and the S series is really that same blade shape that uh, removed the vents. Um, so, but those are both relatively compact. They're inch and a sixteenth wide main blade, three quarter inch wide bleeder blade for you know, one point eight and eight one two inch total cut. Um, so we did those two series. Then we added a wide series um, last year that was new for us, and that was um, inch and three eighths wide main blade, three quarter inch wide bleeder for two and an eighth inch total cut, and that was primarily for whitetail hunters that were, um, you know, initially our customers were almost all elk hunters. Um, you know, we sold a lot in the Colorado area and other, the other mountain states and west. And and also the guys from the east that were coming west to hunt elk, you know, they had heard of our broadheads being very effective for elk hunting. But um, we weren't selling to that many whitetail people, I don't think, a couple of years ago. And as that, as more and more people in that market started using them and you know, blowing through deer and burying their arrow three quarters in the dirt they're asking you know why can't you make a little wider head because i've got plenty of energy to get through this deer um and for a while i was just saying well just you know use our other heads they're killing quickly and they're doing fine but um, at the same time i could see i, I could agree that with a, a white-tailed deer or say a black bear where, where your shots are relatively close um and ours cut through with such ease that you can get a wider head through them no problem um so we came with our wide series. So that has two and an eighth inch total cut there. And then, um, yeah, new this year, we our wide 150 on up is a totally solid blade. Yeah. So we call it our, our wide solid. Um, and then we also added single bevel broadheads this year. We have the the wides here that I I just, I haven't been able to go ahead and shoot them yet. We're, I'm about this weekend, hopefully from dialing in my new, my new bow. Uh, and I'm definitely going to throw on those wides just because I'm, I'm dying to just test them out and, and try them. But, you know, you talked about the, the whitetail uh, side of thing where I knew a lot of people. My buddy Bill uh, sh sh shoots Iron Will, and uh, I know he was just sh shooting the, I think he was shooting the V-Series first, and then he bought a couple of the uh, S-Series. And uh, like you said, he loves just – he blowing through deer and he's like jeremy i've shot about four deer with them where they just had no idea they've been shot and next thing you know it they take a step and they're running 10 yards and they're flopping over he's just been blown away and i think the one time he said one went so far down in the ground when he was able to get it back out he just had trouble sharpening it or something and he contacted you guys and next thing you know he's like i was sent a another uh blade and so he's like a oh, lifetime warranty is just unbelievable great people just to talk about that that's just awesome and like you said once i knew you came out with the wide vented last year i kind of i was holding out for that solid and uh so when they got released a couple months ago i was boom immediately on that weight on that wait list and uh when i i got them in like i said a couple weeks ago so i've they're they just look awesome extremely sharp and uh I, i'm excited to get those running and like you said you have the single bevel now i heard you on on uh kafaru cast talking a little bit about that but you know could you kind of just briefly uh talk about and i know i thought it was funny because when you're talking to aaron and them you really were like uh, how are you wording it? Basically, you didn't want to like them or want to come out with one because you didn't uh, see almost like the need for one. Uh, but your testing kind of just said, okay, let's do it. Yeah, you know, early on I tested single bevel versus double bevel. And, you know, went back and forth, took, took data, tried to decide what I thought was better. And, I, you know, back at that time, I thought 
I like double bevels better. And, and the, my reasoning really was that, um, you know, when you've got an edge that's ground from both sides, it's, it's a bit stronger as it penetrates something. And, you know, the pressure's kind of even on both sides of it, pushing into it as you're cutting through versus having it all ground on one side. All that pressure's on one side is kind of wanting to roll that edge or, or, um, or break out that edge. Um, so they're inherently they aren't quite as durable um and and then and they rotate as they penetrate so i mean that can be good and bad right if it's rotating too much takes up energy it can reduce penetration and i was just trying to go for max penetration through a big animal um you know ashby reports back then said and i've talked to dr ashby a number of times now but um what he found is that the single bevel that rotation would he called it breech bone better, kind of pop apart that bone a little better than than single bevel or than the double bevel. Um, you know, and he had a, a, a long bow shooting fairly slow. And I wasn't seeing that, and I still don't see that with, I see that either a double bevel or single bevel will pop bone apart at the speed, at compound speeds, basically. Okay. There's just a lot more energy there. And the bone, I think, is more likely to just break apart with either one. Um, uh, so anyways, you know, just from all my testing, I thought, well, they're both going to work fine, but, um, I was going with, for the double bevel because I felt like edge durability and penetration, um, I didn't think you could beat it yeah. for, for those two things really. And so, and, and I still don't know if you can, but what I would say <laughs> is that after a year of testing the single bevels, um, they're pretty impressive. Um, you know, they, they penetrate really well. They do break bone well. Um, I've shot through, in fact, I just, it was in Texas recently and I, I shot through a deer and it, it was, it, this is one of the reasons why I think I'm starting to come around to that. You need our broadheads for whitetails as much as any animal because they move. They're so likely to move. Oh, um, yeah. An elk will kind of stand there and take it like a man when you shoot them a lot of times. But um, anyway, I had this doe completely broadside she, she's looking away. I shot, you know, right from like the heart. And, and I know that I know they duck, they duck a lot there. So I actually shot kind of a low heart shot, but perfectly broadside. And I knew she I knew she moved right as the arrow hit her. And she she ran me 50 yards to the trees down to it and bombed off in this creek and was dead right there. But um, anyways, what happened is she ducked and turned into the broadhead so far that it actually went in the front of her, um, you know, in front of her shoulder almost. And it broke that leg bone right at the knuckle. Um, Holy cow. It was kind of the base of the shoulder bone, top of the knuckle, broke it right in two, um, passed through double lung, 10 yards past her, stuck like eight inches in the dirt. Jeez. And, you know, I was thinking, oh, I got a nice, you know, broadside double lung. But when I found her, I realized it completely broke her, broke her leg in two. Um, that was a single bevel. So I've had a number of experiences where the break bone is great. Um, I don't know if they penetrate quite as far through like a really big animal, like a Cape Buffalo. And we're actually, we're gonna try and get, get some testing with the Ashby Foundation to compare the two there. But everything I've shot through, they've passed through with ease, um, breaking bones well. And that one cool thing about them is, and the really the reason that, um, I'm a bit intrigued and like them more than I thought I would is this rotation. You know, they rotate as they're passing through. And we just threw up a video on yeah, our today. On YouTube channel um, this week showing that uh, we a really cool. Um, it's a really cool opportunity to, to use a high speed video camera on a on with a guy hunting and, and as well as just shooting into some bones. But we captured a shot where you can see the arrow rotating as it impacts this big buck. And this 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 really big buck is several years old. Um, but anyways, you can see it rotating as it enters, as it impacts, and it keeps rotating as it goes through. It actually seems to increase the speed, you know, when it hits that kind of dense shoulder. It broke the offside shoulder completely um, and passed through. And the, this buck ran, ran off with one leg up and didn't go far, and he died. But what was cool is capturing that slow motion video that we could see that at impact, it continued to rotate all the way through. And we see that in the entrance and exit holes. They're more almost square, really, 
on those holes. So that's that's what's been pretty cool about this thing bubble. That's pretty impressive too, because I know on the on your Instagram story today, you had that the one too that you uh, showed on the video and just zoomed in and like you can see, you know, the veins just continuously rotating through that animal, which is pretty awesome. And you know, talk about and I believe that is the one too. Um, uh, I could I could be wrong, but the gentleman that shot that buck down there as well, that I think he hit it with a mechanical during the year and then finished him off. And then like, while wow, you were down there with, with, the, with one of the, was it the wide maybe or single bevel? That was, that was a different buck, a different okay. hunter, same okay. trip, same, same day, maybe, or might've been the day before, but, um, or the day after, I think it was. Okay. Yeah. The day after. Um, so it was a different buck, but it was, a, it was a guy down there that, um, he's the guy that guides down there but he was just hunting himself that weekend and i gave him a few broadheads and um and he he shot a buck with a ironwood broadhead and it turned out to be the same buck he shot 40 days prior with a with a really popular uh, mechanical head you know rear deploy mechanical and so we say that to our instagram story as well we'll probably put this up on our youtube but it's um it's we're by the buck and he's telling me the story and you can see the scar there on the shoulder blade. And, you know, the more I've tested mechanicals the last few years, man, I, I can't see why anybody would use one. Honestly, it's you tune a 70 pound bow that buck was broadside. I saw the video of the shot. It just ducked a little bit and it hit the scapula and that scapula is not as thin right there. I mean, it's really thin. I can push my broadhead through it by hand pretty easily, but yeah, with the mechanical, it's like, it's like punching a wall. It just, it just stops it. And, um, that it did not penetrate the scapula. So it's only in, you know, an inch or so it ran off that way. Arrow falls out. It's, we were joking. It's kind of a catch and release broadhead. Cause you can, <laughs> you know, shoot it again, hunt it again later. Um, but the bad thing is you can also wound it and yeah. it can off, go off and die somewhere later of infection or something. But anyways, um, yeah, it's, it's the same buck he so he shot with an iron will then while i was there and right in the right in the kind of the vital v there right the meat of the shoulder on the near side and it broke um broke through shoulder bone on the far side and stuck in the dirt like eight inches so he's telling that story so what a difference there in uh in the broadhead design what a difference it made well that's what i think the the biggest thing with mechanicals is you always hear people whether they're whitetail hunting or elk hunting is 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 a quartering two too much and i have to try to squeeze that shot behind the shoulder whereas if you have a fixed plate you know you don't have to really worry about that right if you know exactly where those vitals are and you're aiming for your exit point it doesn't matter if there's bone in the way or not you're going to probably penetrate right through that and then that's very important you know that's going to create less wounded deer and, and you're not trying to kind of squeeze those into tight windows and you kind of have more room and, and, and better visual and accuracy with your shot. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, I hesitate to say that for everybody. It's going to depend on, on what your setup is. And I right. don't, I don't want to have a kid listen or something and try to shoot one right through the, you know, shoulder bone or leg bone or something. But, um, you know, that's been my experience with, the average guy with 70 pound bow or so um i just shoot for the top of the heart kind of any angle whether it's broadside quartering two frontal um because i i mean i'm super confident with my setup i've just tested through bones so much that it this doe is kind of a worst case scenario she ducked and turned into it so not only did i hit the the heaviest bone there um, but it was also moving fast, which makes it harder to penetrate and right. it steals more energy from you. And it still weighed through with double lung 10 yards and stuck in the dirt. Um, and we've had a number of guys, you know, another one is like that downward spine shot. Um, good friend of mine shot this, this big, I think it was like a 210 inch mule deer in Colorado. Um, where he, he was, he spotted it, came around over the cliff and shot straight down. And it was, you know, right through the shoulder, right between the shoulder blades, right through the spine. And it, and those big old mule deer have some, you know, pretty big stiff vertebrae. And it completely severed that into two pieces, went, you know, went, made it down to the heart. And and he told me that, you know, he's like mechanicals, no way would have gotten, you know, would just stopped in that first bone. And he doesn't think any of his broadheads he shot in the past would have made it through that bone either. 
So what would you say, yeah, Bill? I think theory, it kind of opens up shot opportunities for it, sure. I, I think so too. And, and I, what do you think causes, like is the number one reason why people do go that mechanical route just because of the whole, oh, they fly, you know, like a fuel point, but everything that I've ever heard, and that's why I'm, I'm itching to try the wides just because of it, the way they fly true is everybody that I've known that have shot an iron will have talked about how awesome they fly. But do you think it is just that laziness? I, I mean, I don't know if I should call it laziness, but just they, they want just that easy way of like, oh, it just flies just like my field points. Do you think that's why people are going more mechanical than fix or, you know, because I do want to talk about, because I know you're, you, you work closely a little bit with Kyle Davidson over at DCA uh, Custom Arrow stuff. And, um, you know, two engineers, the two of you, I'm sure you guys bounce crazy ideas off of for a great ultimate arrow setup. So I do want to talk to you about that. But, you know, is it just the easy ease of mechanicals of the way they fly? I think it's really two things. Um, one is it's it's easy and maybe they don't know any better. You know, they um, you know, a lot of a lot of guys just there. They buy a bow from the bro shop. They kind of tune it for them once and then they shoot it. And um, and then, you know, a year later, um, it's probably out of tune or, you know, once the string stretch, it sets in, it could be out of tune. Um, if it was even tuned to begin with, who knows? But if 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 you both stay out of tune, if you're shooting you know, little target fletches, there, there's a lot of things that if if you don't really have the knowledge, a lot of things that can make your, um, you know, your broadhead, your field points aren't going to fly that great or group that great either. But broadheads will magnify any issues there. So, yeah, they might throw the broadheads on, shoot at 40, they're hitting five inches left or something like that, and just put a mechanical on and go. And so they'd really be better off, um, you know, learning enough to, you know, get their bow tuned and use a, use a good a kind of appropriate arrow setup for a fixed blade head. It's really pretty simple. Um, but, you know, if, if you don't put the time into doing that, I think that's one of the reasons. And I think the other one is just, is that, I mean, mechanicals can work great. I mean, there's all this like anecdotal evidence of, I shot this buck and there's there's blood everywhere and he died in 10 yards. So that's the that's the problem with the mechanicals is they can work great and look perfect on one deer. Yeah. And then, you know, I don't know, it could be like 50-50. Half the time it's beautiful, half the time it's a complete failure. And that's that's the problem. Whereas mechanicals, um, like iron wheel is never gonna fail on you. There's no way it's gonna fail on you on an animal. I, I'm 100% confident. Yeah. In that, um, there's nothing on an animal you can hit that's that's going to hurt that blade or that ferrule. Um, versus any other, versus a lot of the broadheads you get for ten bucks are very cheap steels and ferrules, and you know they can fail. And mechanicals just have ten times more ways they can fail than just even a fixed head. Um, I, and I, I think know, I think too. Through them, but yeah, no, <laughs> and I, lots, lots of potential problems. No, and I think too like. You know, when you think about anything that has more moving parts, usually that means something's bound to go wrong. Like you look at vehicles nowadays, like when everything's so computerized, oh, this piece in the computer is dead. And now you got to get a new part for this in a vehicle. Like there's just so much moving parts. That's the same thing for mechanicals. You know what I mean? Like you're worried about O-rings or you're worried about deployment like this and that. Like there's just so much more going on where, like you said, with a fixed blade, you your most dynamic quote unquote moving part that you have on there is a, a bleeder blade, <laughs> you know, like, um, I don't know. I, I think that's kind of, you know, when you look at it, like in hindsight, like, well, there's a lot of moving parts to mechanicals nowadays. Yeah. And, you know, I did, I did component mechanism design for many years for other companies. And, you know, when, as we compared designs and then also when we plan to bring a product to market, we'd go through this, um, design failure modes and effects analysis, we call it, where we kind of list the different possible failure modes and what have we done, you know, to test and make sure it won't happen. If I do that on a mechanical head, it's, it, you know, there's just a lot of potential problems there. It could open up on the weight of the animal. It could not open up as it's going through an animal. It can, you know, it can it can open up in such a way that it's it gets, um, you know, deflected. They can just, have one blade catch something and spin the whole back of the arrow around and just get, um, 
you know, go off in a different direction. Um, sometimes not even getting through the ribs, but kind of running between ribs and hide and coming back out the same side. Um, if it's too steep of an angle, they can kind of cartwheel off the animal. Um, and, or you can hit a bone and have both blades break off or bend. I mean, I've seen so many failure modes and I've had so many customers tell me about the failure modes that if I didn't know any better and I just heard what they all told me and showed me, there's just no way I'd ever shoot a mechanical yeah. based on it. And, and I know some people out there are saying, well, my, my, the mechanical I use doesn't do that. Yeah, I think I've heard about every, every mechanical that's popular used these days um, and all the newest, latest ones where people are telling me about failures. So it definitely can happen. Well, that's what I even think a lot of the mechanicals I've used have been, you know, high quality mechanicals out on the market. But every time, whether you got a, a great penetration and pass through on that animal or maybe even you just missed but when you're pulling that that mechanical out of the ground there's always dings and dents into that blade you know so you're always replacing them after one shot you know whether you're harvesting an animal or you miss so i think that's a big issue too is is it's basically a one and done for a lot of them you're there replacing blades or you know you're you're yeah. replacing the whole head after one time where you know uh fixed broadhead like an iron wheel you're probably going to use over and over and over again unless you basically you lose it right yeah <laughs> Right. Yeah, we have lifetime warranty and, and you know, there, it's a different mindset. It was different for me too. When I started, the only reason I was, I'd never reused a broadhead before. Um, I'd always thrown it out and put a new one on, you know, but um, through prototyping and development, you know, those, those prototype heads were expensive to make and I wanted to do as much testing as I could off of them. And when I, when I drove the material um, and manufacturing process up to the point where they no longer got damaged on say heavy bone impacts. I realized I can just use them over and over on animals, maybe touch up the edges and, and keep going. And uh, and that's really why I decided to come out with a lifetime warranty because um, they're not gonna fail going through an animal. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's something, it's a different mindset, but if you think about it that way, that you're buying three or six broadheads and you can continue to use them for years, you actually save money on it compared to buying you know, a couple packages of throwaway heads each year. No, yeah, I, that's awesome. And, you know, before I, I we dive into the Snyder Core component system that you just released, you know, I'm just sitting here because I'm I love listening to that because you cut your teeth from chasing whitetail in Wisconsin. It just seems like our <laughs> last five guests have been from Wisconsin, which is kind of pretty cool. What build came about where you were just like, you know what? I'm making my, I'm making a broadhead. Like, I know you have that engineer background, you know, was it, did you have a, an opportunity where you were use a mechanical that failed or were you using a fixed blade that just, you thought like, man, I'm tired of sharpening them. I'm tired of, I'm tired of doing this. I'm going to make my own. Like, what was it that, that forced you to do iron Wilk? just because it, I, it's just so fascinating. I, and I love hearing these types of stories just because it you know when you have so much success and and people believe in a product or you know it could be anything it's not just products i just love hearing that that story like what made you just that that day where that light bulb went on and you snapped your fingers and you went to work yeah what really got me into it was um you know i i moved to colorado i'd been elk hunting for four years wasn't very good at it yet <laughs> um really hadn't figured out elk and you know everything i knew was really whitetails and honey elk is so different it took me a it took me a while to kind of get it figured out i'm really successful in recent years now um but back in the early years i wasn't and so i think it took me four years to get a shot on a, on a nice bull elk and i hit just a little far forward um it caught that shoulder blade and and that i can remember seeing that elk run a little ways and stop and almost all that arrow was still you know visible and it just that broadhead um i think it just failed right there it just didn't penetrate that shoulder blade and and so i mean that and that elk ran off i was so devastated i worked so hard and if you're it, you know if you all caught in the mountains and realize you know how much work it is hiking up and down those mountains for a week going after elk um and you finally get the shot of the bull and it's almost going to be like perfect. And then it's not, you know, <laughs> the shot gets screwed up. So 
anyway, you know, I looked for that bowl for a week there and, um, it really bothered me. You know, it, it was like hard to sleep over this thing. And, and what really bugged me is that I could look at my broadhead and, and see all these and see that, yeah, I could see this thing failing on a shoulder blade pretty easy. And I was kind of kicking myself that I wasn't applying my engineering to what was most important to me really, which was, uh, was elk hunting, um, or, you know, bow hunting in general. Yeah. And so that was kind of a click, like, all right, I need to apply engineering to something that's in this here. Um, and I didn't really plan to make my own at that point, you know, um, I just thought I'm going to analyze the ones out there and pick what's best. But after a couple of years of doing that, I just, I realized that a lot of what was being made was kind of junk. It just didn't have, um, it wasn't using the best materials. It was using very low cost materials. Right. And I just realized it could be so much better, um, with, with some, you know, engineering, modern materials, you know, modern engineering practices, more or less. And so that's why I decided I'm just, I'm just gonna make my own. Um, and then it was, uh, you know, it wasn't a full-time job because I still had a full-time job. But <laughs> it was uh, design one up, get parts made, give them to my um, my brothers, my friends and myself and test them for a year um, and, you know, report back what do we need to improve going forward. And and I've got my brother, Tim, I think he shot, um, he's, a, he's a big killer of whitetails. He lives in Iowa now, but nice. I think he was... Um, I think he shot like 50 deer, something like that with our, uh, initial design. So his feedback <laughs> is pretty valuable in his whole thing. Heck yeah. Uh, he pushed me to add the bleeder blade, which was a really good thing to do. I didn't want to do it at first, but, um, it really helps open up the holes. But anyways, yeah, it, it was that failure on the elk that got me going. And then a couple of years of just being unsatisfied with what was out there that just made me decide I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna design one myself. Awesome. Well, thanks for making what you're making. I know I haven't been able to shoot, but a lot of people I'm sure are very happy. And I know we, we, we will be, uh, for this upcoming year, but all right. So let's talk about the, the, uh, Snyder core component system that you just released. I know, um, like we shoot the smaller diameter arrows and, um, you know, just talk about like what that is. Um, and so if anybody hasn't listened, I know you came out with that on Kafaru cast, but so you don't have to go crazy and dissect it. But uh, what what is that as an overview? And, uh, you know, what what does that bring to the table compared to what you already have? Yeah, so first, let me just talk through the arrow diameters out there. And just so people know what I'm talking about when I say micros. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of the, the standard diameter arrow is like a 0.246 ID. It has a a full insert that comes out to the end and you're screwing into that insert and that'd be like um um like a gold tip hunter pro, pro gold tip hunter arrow would be that um there's a lot of other ones but those are the ones i i probably last used before i went to small diameter um a small diameter is um a 204 id so that'd be like eastern axis gold tip uh, kinetic um uh, VAP TKO would be that size. Ramp, uh, rampage. Yeah. Would be one. So a 204 ID, your options there, you can have um, like Easton does a hit system where the, the shank of your broadhead can align directly to the ID of the arrow and then the inserts pushed back in, it's bonded in, you know, um, a little over a half inch back behind there. So it's either got a, um, you either have a, um, a hit system or you can have like a half out as well there. Okay. So those are what I would call small diameter 204.204 inch ID. Um, and, and we make components for that. I make hard steel and titanium hit inserts and these impact collars that go over the arrow. I licensed that technology for the hit inserts from Easton. I've been making those and and that's really kind of a sweet spot i think that 204 diameter arrow gets you some of the benefits of a smaller diameter but yet it can be really strong robust connection with with our component system um the next level smaller is what we call micros and that's those are 0 0.165 or 0 0.166 inch id arrows and and you know 
I went to those maybe five years ago or so. I shot them for a couple of years and I went back to the 204s. I just didn't quite feel like the with the micros that the component systems available were, were strong enough to make it worth the benefits you get from this micro diameter arrow. Okay. And if you're wondering what those benefits are, you know, micro diameter arrow um, will have a little less drag. I don't see a lot of reason to use them for closer shots, but if you're shooting longer range, there should be less less drag because of less arrow, you know, surface area. Um, so a little less drop at distance, and then a little less wind drift. You know, a little less uh, cross-sectional area if you got a crosswind. So a little less wind drift. Um, you know, penetration has been very um, varied amounts of penetration increase. You know, touted out there. Um, some people will say it'll double penetration. I can't see that happening. I think when the broadhead goes through and cuts the slice and your ferrule goes through, I think you want the I think you want the arrow to be a little smaller than that, a little smaller than your ferrule. But I don't think it I don't think making it a lot smaller at the one six, you know, with the micros really gives you that much less drag because you go through tissue and there's blood and fluids kind of lubricating that. So to me, you'll get a little more penetration, but I think that's a smaller factor compared to the um, the drag of the wind drift. Anyway, I've been uh, struggling to, I've kind of wanted to go back and test those more, shoot those more for longer range shots. And so I've been working on a component system to make that more robust. And I worked with um, with Aaron Snyder, who's, um, yeah, he does Kafaro cast and uh, he, he hunts pretty much year round. And, you know, the guy, shoots 100 plus animals a year so he's <laughs> he's one of the best testers of of uh, bow hunting equipment you know that i've worked with he's he's the only sure thing you know yeah. i give him broadheads <laughs> he kills a bunch of animals you know it's it's gonna happen and yeah. uh so i get feedback from him anyway i've been working with him for several months on this system and we uh, came up with we call it the snyder core system so it's a long it's that 166 um diameter It'd be similar to a deep deep six shank diameter if you're familiar with the deep six systems but but this would be um the deep six shank is only 0.3 inches and this one's a one inch long and then um the so you can use it as a hit system where you're pushing that hit back in um, a little over an inch and you have a long broadhead shank and then you have a collar that goes over it uh, to reinforce it I mean, you can use it as a screw in hit system, or you can just glue the whole thing in, which is what Aaron does. He just attaches the hit to the back to add more weight and uses hot melt glue and just glues the whole thing in solid to the arrow. Um, and that's very robust. He's been he's been uh, doing that with our tool force system for over a year. And, um, and that's part of the reason that um, we knew that that would work well for this system as well as we came out with it. Yeah, I mean, because the one thing, too, that I've noticed just because I've been tinkering with making my arrows for the last two years and trying different things and different setups, just because I like to see what is that best for me, uh, I've noticed a lot when I try and I'll order different components. I'm like, wow, these are junk. I'm not even going to put them on. Um, Or you buy different, you know, ones that are better, like products and uh, components, and and I will use those ones. So that's the one. Another thing that I what's fascinating is how you tested things and there's nothing really up to the standard that you kind of want. So you went out and, and did something like that. Yeah. I really don't want to make components. In fact, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, I did it because all the heavy bone testing, I was just wrecking too many arrows. So I made some for myself, you know, um, higher strength hits and impact, what I call now I'll call impact collars, but this, um, sleeve that went over the arrow with the flange on the front to really protect and reinforce that arrow. I did that for myself, so my arrows would last longer for bone impact testing. Um, and then, at the time, I wanted to license the hit insert. You know, I talked to East and say, "Hey, why don't you, why don't you guys just make these higher strength?" And I, you know, I think the, you know, the kind of the high end hunter market isn't is relatively small compared to all yeah. the people that would want to buy arrows from right. them. So I don't think it makes a lot of sense for them to put a lot of money into their components that are going with the arrows when you know, half the people are just going to shoot them in the phone, for instance. Um, so, you know, I can understand um, why large arrow companies don't want to put a lot of money into the components because 
the average guy doesn't necessarily need any better strength than aluminum. Um, it's it's guys that are hunting with them and trying to you know blow through bones where you really need something that's that's a lot stronger than what's than what you would typically get with arrows when you buy them. Nice. Now, can you maybe dive into? I know we could probably do a whole podcast yeah. on this, talk about arrow setup, but. You know, someone for myself, like Jeremy said, he does a lot of tinkering with arrows and I just kind of leave my arrows up to him because he kind of geeks out on a lot of that stuff. But for me growing up, I never really got into it much. I kind of let it up to the shop to give me some advice of what weight and then uh, size of the arrows and, and my setup as far as the broadhead and, and what grain I'm going with. But can you explain to someone that might be new into archery that's really wants to try your broadheads of maybe why they would want to go vented versus solid uh what grain maybe they would want to go and and the weight of their arrow uh and the stiffness of the spine can you kind of dive into that i know poundage is going to have something to do with it maybe you can talk just very general on that and give someone some perspective on their arrow setup yes it's kind of hard to do um for, let's say for the average guy shooting say a 65 pound bow maybe um if and say he's you know say he's i don't know maybe he's mostly whitetail hunting but maybe he's gonna go out west elk hunting as well perfect and so you know what i would say is um i like you know, I don't want to have a really light arrow screaming fast. It it doesn't really help you out very much at all. Um, it might help you on a 3D course if you got an eyeball judge range, but it it's not going to help you elk elk. It's not going to help you hunting at all, really. Um, that you're better off having some more mass. You'll have more retained momentum, get better penetration, um, and that's whether you're shooting a whitetail at 20 yards or you know an elk at 40 or whatever. Um, so if you're shooting something that's in that 400 grain range or below, um, increase some weight there. And what I would say is, um, you know, maybe maybe target having 150 to 175 grains total weight up front, um, and and choose a spine arrow appropriately for that. So if you're you know, I'll go I'll go through some of my numbers because I kind of know what they are. If I'm shooting my 70 pound bow. With my thirty, with a thirty-inch draw, um, I can shoot a twenty-eight and a half-inch arrow with that. And if I want to have, if I want to have, um, say, I want to shoot our one hundred twenty-five grain S series head, which is a great kind of all-around elk head, deer head, whatever. Um, I want to shoot one twenty-five grain head, and I want to shoot a say twenty-five grain hit and either a 10 grain titanium or 25 grain impact collar. I know that's a really strong setup. I really like that hit insert and impact collar in a tool for ID arrow of like a, an axis, match grade axis or say black Eagle rampage. I think those are great arrow setups. If you're shooting a 204, the, the, the broadhead shank is going to align directly to the ID of the arrow, which is the most tightly controlled surface. So, you know what I'd say, whenever you assemble an arrow up with a broadhead on it, just get a little spinner, arrow spinner, spin it, make sure that the point is staying true and not wobbling all over. And you're way more likely to have that happen if you're using like a, a good arrow um, with decent straightness. And then n not no, no half out or out skirt, but you're aligning the broadhead directly to the ID. You pretty much guarantee I'd say if you shoot an Eastern Axis match grade or a rampage with our broadhead, I guarantee it's going to spin through. I mean, there's just no tolerances there. Um, so, I mean, that, that'll save you a lot of trouble versus having half hour outsert where there's a stack up of tolerances and you're also mounting the broadhead an inch out in front of the arrow. So it can be off more because of that. And it, you know, might have some wobble that would drive you off. Um, so anyways, I go, I go tool for ID arrow, um, with my setup, one if I had 160, 175 up front, I would need a 300 spine, and at 28 and a half inches. Um, on the back, I would put on. I like three higher profile veins, like um, Blazers, Max Hunters, uh, Fusion Two from Q2I. They're all about the same height. They're like 0.58, 0.6 inches high. 
Um, and, and there's bully. There's a bunch of other ones that are about that same size as say about the size of like a blazer okay. at, um, say two and a half to two and a half to three degrees offset or helical. You want to, you want to get some rotation there. You want to get some spin because what that does is it averages out any asymmetries. If there was not spinning and something's off a little bit, your, your arrow's got a little bit of bow to it. You know, it's not perfectly straight or your points off a little bit. If it's not rotating, it just drives it all off to one side. If it rotates, it averages, averages that out and you stay on, on track. So anyways, don't just buy the arrows off the shelf with zero or one degree offset. Um, you know, have them, have them made at your pro shop or whatever. Tell me what two and a half degrees offset or helical. They, that's pretty standard to do. Um, so with that arrow I kind of just described, um, I'm going to be right around 500 grains with that setup personally um if somebody's got a little shorter draw they might be more down at that 475 or or whatever i like that i like 450 grain plus um, that's kind of what i recommend for um a hunting arrow and i, I like that whether it's white tails or, or, or whatever um but yeah, yeah and there's you mentioned dca custom arrows that he's a buddy of mine he he, he built some really nice arrows he built some for me when i'm I'm too busy and, and uh, <laughs> can't build them all myself. Um, so I'm totally confident in him, but there's a lot of other good arrow builders out there as well. Uh, but yeah, if you, if you use those arrows and kind of, you know, you, you want to have them squared front and back. Um, you want to spin them, make sure that they're spinning straight. And yeah, that's why it have enough flexion back and have them spine properly. So if you've got 150, 175 grains up front, um, if you've got a program like, you know, Archer's Advantage or something like that, and some of these are free online now, you can look for free online, you know, spine calculators, but plug it in for your, um, a lot of me just need your bow poundage and your arrow length. You might need your draw length um, and how much weight up front and it'll, it'll kick back, you know, what spine you need. So don't be under spine because that'll cause excessive flexing and, and poor flight. Um, you want to be kind of nominally spine to a little bit, a little bit stiff, and you know, doing those things, uh, yeah, will get you uh, way further ahead with being able to shoot um, fixed blade broadheads. And, and the other thing there is also, you know, tune your bow, learn how to kind of paper tune it, and um, and check it once in a while. Um, and so I think kind of paper tuning with fletching is kind of a, a basic first level. Yeah. Am I just kind of getting a bullet hole through that paper or not at say 10, 12 feet? Um, that's kind of a first level check that I think everybody should do and and do it again. You know, I had a bow a few years back that I had to retune it every three or four months. Um, I'm not sure if the string was still stretching or the the you know the limbs can creep a little over time or what, but you know, keep checking it once in a while. Um, but kind of paper tuning is pretty basic. You know, you can read up how to do that all over. Your pro shop should be able to help you do that level. Um, next level, I'd say, you know, I paper tune and then I'll also shoot bare shafts through paper because it's a little bit finer. I can see a little bit finer, you know, tear right, left, up or down with that. Um, and, you know, in general, you want to um, adjust your bow so that your, your center shot can stay pretty close to center. Right. Um, and so depending on your bow and that might be shimming your cams or yoke tuning or whatever, um, get some help from your, your pro shop or, you know, do some online searching there, but you know, just tuning your bow. I don't care if you shoot mechanicals now, getting a bow tune saves you so much energy versus the arrow coming off fishtailing your bows. <laughs> Cause you're, what bow tuning means is it's the string is pushing the knock directly in line with your rest. So all that, all that force is going to momentum of the arrow and it's not being lost by pushing it in a different direction than where your rest is. Um, you lose so much energy from that, that it's, it's just not a good solution to, well, I just have an untuned bow and just shoot a, shoot a mechanical. Yeah. It, it's a really poor solution for a bow hunter, I think, but yeah. anyway, yeah, that's the first level. I can go into some higher level oh, yeah. too, but I think everybody can do that. They're just way ahead. 
No, yeah. yeah. And I, I think, too, like my biggest, I, I think from your answer, too, I think you just solidified me to continue to be doing Dimitri's arrows for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's awesome. But no, I, I think for me, my biggest question that I always have is, you know, I bought the wides, you know, they're coming in at 150 grain right up front. You know, I like having the out, uh, outsert collar just because I like you said the durability um, and then running just that little bit more too up front so like for me you know what do you like I'm a my arrows cut to just about over 28 inches I'm a 28 and a half inch draw I'm shooting 73 pounds it's coming out of so like I so that's why I bought three of the wide and I bought three of the single bevel just because I want to see where I'm at. And like, let's just say I'm using either match grade access, uh, Eastern access arrows, or, uh, let's just say black Eagle, uh, rampage, you know, point, you know, Oh, one, am I okay with 200 up front? Do you think what's fine? Um, so, so that was my question. Like right now I have 300, like, should I go to 250? Probably a 28 inch arrow, 73 pounds, you said. So yeah. I've got a 75 pound VXR. Um, my draw length's 30 inches, but I have my arrows at 28 and a half. So that, you know, that beam length is kind of similar on our arrows. Yeah. Um, in the, I use a 260 spine for 175 up front. Um, I mean, you might be okay with a 300 spine, 200 up front with 28 inches. You could probably cut your arrow a little bit shorter as well. Right. Um, my guess is that you're still a couple inches past your rest right now. Right. Um, at least an inch and a half. So you could take a little bit off there if you wanted. Um, but you know, you might be okay. It's kind of, it could be kind of borderline that you could go a little, um, a little stiffer. And okay. what I'd say is, you know, those programs and things just get you close and you almost have to go and just shoot and see yeah. because, um, you know, it kind of can vary with the shooter and their form. And, you know, it, a lot of this depends on initial disturbance off the bow and, and that'll vary by, by shooter, um, and bow. If your form's perfect, you can get by with, um, being, you know, closer to being underspined, I guess. And, uh, and it, and being optimally spined probably makes it the most forgiving setup for you. Right. But, you know, it, I guess you could you could try it. If you got some arrows right now, you could you could add point weight by field points and shoot some groups um, and see see if your groups open up when you go to see if they're tighter at one seventy five up front or than they are at two hundred up front right. or two twenty five. So I, I'll do some of that too when I'm tuning. I'll also grab some heavier and lighter points, and um, typically I'll shoot I'll shoot through paper and shoot groups and see if. I'm kind of borderline on, on spine or not. Um, yeah, I've done, I bought what, actually when I got your, some of the wides, I bought points to match them just because I wanted to, to test that out. And what I've actually done is I've been only creating like two arrows at a clip just because instead of just cutting them all down at, at whatever and, and screwing it up on myself, I'm like, well, there goes a, you know, a, a whole dozen of arrows that I just wasted just because I, you know, set them up wrong or whatever. I've been trying to just do two or three at a clip just to test them out and, and see. And then, like you said, that way I have, you know, if I cut three, I have nine more that I could maybe cut a little bit smaller, uh, short, shorten it up a little bit just to, to see how they fly. Um, so that's the one thing that, that was my question. I'm like, do I need to go to 250 or 260 depending on the arrow and, uh, with that wide setup? Cause I do think with the, with the single bevel that I have coming and I can't recall, I think I got those in 125. Um, I'll have to go back and look at the receipt um, for that. But uh, obviously I know the wides are at 150. So that was my main thing was, okay, I know that's gonna be my ultimate whitetail setup here. So we're gonna be focusing on whitetail. So I really wanna see if what's the best setup that I could possibly have. And uh, so I'm gonna be testing that out and trying to find that, that answer. Yeah, and I think I think with 28 inches arrow length, 200 up front, I think you're right there, still kind of in the optimally spined area. Um, you know, with, without running through the numbers myself, I think you're pretty close there. But you know, I would test a little bit um, 
more or less and just just kind of verify that it's looking good for you what was funny is uh bill i we've been having these ideas where we would love to have multiple people on that are like-minded individuals just to have more ideas bounce off of each other and uh i've talked to kyle on the phone from you know with kyle davidson and I was like, boy, if I have he and Bill on, I'm going to feel really dumb on that one. So <laughs> we're going to try to just do Kyle and Bill one at a time because that, that'd be too much to handle. I think uh, with, with the, your two minds, that would just be so fun to, to one, listen to, but I would. <laughs> yeah, we could talk arrows all day. We could talk arrows all day on that one. That would be a good one. Yeah, we've had, I, I talked to Kyle quite a bit. We've had a lot of discussions. He's, yeah, he's one of my best customers, really. Yeah. He buys a ton of uh Iron wheel broadheads and components that he's setting up in arrows. He's got a lot of customers that want them. And, um, and yeah, since he's a, a development engineer also, we, we bounce a lot of ideas back and forth. So yeah, good guy. That's awesome. Sure. Well, that's what I, I think arrow setup is so important when it comes to your bow. And I think oh, yeah. a lot of hunters, that's the one aspect that they lack is the importance of the correct arrow, the correct broadhead that whole setup is really going to impact your accuracy and it, it's great that there is a lot more resources available out there to kind of make sure that you are at the right setup or it's going to really impact you shooting your bow yeah absolutely yeah and unfortunately um there's just so many it not so much I'd say not so much in the West and Colorado or guys that are typically elk hunting. I think a lot more guys there are, they know not to use a super light arrow and, you know, you know, all these other things. But, um, as you know, as you head East, I think more and more guys are just getting what the pro shop gives them and, and, um, or they're just, you know, picking up pre-fledged arrows somewhere, throwing on a hundred grand head and calling it good. So I think guys that want to, kind of take take their hunt to the next level um and a lot of times unfortunately it takes a failure on a big buck or something like that before people really start seeking you know what can i do better here um but um yeah i think i, I don't know i mean our customers i think are a lot of those guys that are looking for something better because they had some problem or or just they've decided you know bow hunting is their passion and they want to do it the best they can um, so I don't know if, if nationwide more people are pushing that way or it's just all the people I talk to, but there seems to be a lot of guys that want to improve their setup and, and just do better. No, absolutely. And that was, uh, we had Preston on a couple of weeks ago, uh, with mountain physio and, uh, he was just talking about, you know, his arrow setup, and he just got a new uh, V3 that, that he's setting up right now. So uh, it's, pre it's pretty neat just to hear, like you said, some individuals from out west of how in-depth they really go with, with their uh, arrow setup and everything. Yeah, I know Preston. I traded some. Uh, it's funny. I trade broadheads for about everything nowadays. <laughs> I trade some, you know, little broadhead discounts for some physical therapy there. There you go. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, well, awesome. give me some more, uh, you know, give me some more exercises to, to build shoulder strength. Um, you know, cause I want to, I want to bow hunt till I'm a hundred. So I want to keep my shoulder strength up and not get injured. I just hear about too many guys. I've never had an injury knock on wood, but yeah. I want to um, make sure I'm exercising, um, right to, uh, keep shoulder strength. So well, what, what's yeah, funny. He had, he had a buffalo hunt coming up, so yeah. he needed, um, some broadhead advice, but yeah, I've, I've paid vet bills with broadheads. I've uh, <laughs> you know, bought food with broadheads. That's <laughs> it's awesome. Been pretty good, pretty well, trade in the industry so far. No, that's awesome. Going back and saying what's funny of, of having, say, you and Kyle on the night that we had Preston on, at least I have a, uh, some kinesiology background because of being in, I used to be a personal trainer as well. So I have the muscle, I, I know the body a little bit, so I wasn't too far, uh, you know, in, in the backseat, listening to Preston and Dimitri, both being physical therapists. So they were, uh, there was a couple moments where they got a little bit in, in detail, which was kind of cool to hear them geek out over and some stuff like that. So that was good. Yeah. If you do this long enough in, in, uh, in hike mounds and pack out elk and you know, all the, all the stuff I put my body through all the time. There, there's always something that hurts a little bit. So yeah, um, I've got a few physical therapist friends. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. No, so that's good guys to have around here. Absolutely. Well, Bill, uh, you know, one last thing before you get off, um, you know, you talked about that really cool shot you had on the doe where she kind of turned in towards you, went in on the broadhead. And uh, do you have any other cool stories from this past season of, of hunting before uh, we get off? 
man, I had uh, I had an amazing year of hunting. Um, I mean, I started out in August, flew to Alaska, had a caribou hunt. It was um, it was kind of a DIY it was a DIY hunt where we just had a flight service that dropped me off with a couple other buddies, you know, one at a time, in a little cub plane up in the Brooks Range of the mountains, and um, I mean, that was incredible. Um, got a nice we got three nice bulls there. Wow, three days and. And I came back and shot two of my biggest bulls ever in elk hunting Colorado and then Montana, um, way back in, you know, backpack hunts deep in. So it's, uh, man, it's, those are just three amazing hunts. I went on to have great hunts after that too, but those just left me, uh, pretty amazed at, uh, pretty thankful for the year I had for sure. Awesome, man. Congratulations on that. And, uh, looking forward to hopefully seeing some footage of some stuff with that. And, uh, you know, so before people, you know, get off and where could people find more about iron will and everything like that? Yeah. Our website is, um, ironwilloutfitters.com. Our um, Instagram is at ironwilloutfitters. Um, and we post Instagram. It's all pretty much copied to Facebook. You can check us out on Facebook to it at ironwilloutfitters. Awesome, Bill. Well, again, thank you so much for taking the time out this evening. Uh, everybody go check out Iron Wheel Outfitter, Outfitters. And uh, again, I'm speaking from just owning the uh, the wides right now and not even shooting them yet, uh, just by holding them in my hand and seeing how sharp they are. I'm super impressed and I'm dying. I'm chomping at the bit this weekend to just shoot them already just to test one out and uh, uh, go check them out. And Bill, thank you so much. Until next time, Antler Up. And that's a wrap for another episode of the Antler Up podcast. Thank you again, Bill, for coming on. Everybody, thanks for sticking along. Hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you check out antlerupoutdoors.com. Check us out on YouTube, our Instagram, Facebook. And uh, again, thank you so much for the support. Turkey season's coming up. Some of you are already knocking them down. Congratulations uh, out in other states. Uh, we have you coming up here soon in PA. So best of luck, everybody. Thank you again for the support. Till next time, Antler Up.